Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. All right, good morning. Can we celebrate what God has done this morning one more time? Yeah. I love baptism uh, for several reasons. Uh, It reminds me of what Jesus Christ did for me as they go into the water. I'm reminded uh, of my Savior who came and gave his life. The only one deserving of eternal life came and died for the one who deserved death so that I might have eternal life. And as those girls came up out of the water as uh, representing their new creations in Christ, it reminds me of the commitment I made uh, a lot of years ago now to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it reminds me of those very early moments of being a believer, those very sweet moments of when everything has just been radically changed. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes for me, as the days go on and the weeks go on and this problem happens and that problem happens and the world's melting over here and over here, before you know it, I get beat down and beat down and beat down and beat down. And sometimes I just need a reminder of what Jesus has done for me and what he is still doing. And uh, through their baptism, I get reminded of myself and what Jesus has done for me. And so I pray that it's an encouragement to those of you who are believers in Jesus as well. And it is a call to us. Anytime we see somebody being baptized into the family, we have to remember that the reason they're being baptized in front of us is because we're there to help them. Uh, That it's not just, hey, we clap for your baptism, but it's 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Uh, As Zoe and Riley are walking through life, we ought to be there for them uh, because we were there. We witnessed them uh, saying that they gave their allegiance to King Jesus. So uh, that was all for free. If you're the type of person that times a sermon, uh, you don't start your clock yet because that does not count. You can start now. Uh, Open your Bibles uh, to 2 Peter chapter 3. We are going to finish our uh, series through 2 Peter today. And then uh, next week we're going to start a series called It's Complicated. Uh, all about relationships, friendships, marriages, uh, any kind of relationship you have. If you're the type of person that would say, you know what, my life is perfect if it wasn't for humans, uh, this relationship this series is going to be for you. Uh, and I'm going to be preaching to myself for a lot of it. Uh, and also on August 29th, uh, similar to baptism, we have an opportunity as a church family uh, to uh, uh, welcome uh, new babies into our, our family. Uh, through child dedication uh, here to send. Uh, we've never actually done a child dedication before, uh, but you guys all started having a lot of babies. And so uh, our nursery has exploded. And I was like, we, we had to probably do a child dedication at some point. Uh, so what it is, is if you're interested, you can just put it on your connect card and uh, we'll bring you up here on stage. You don't have to say anything. And uh, I'll pray over you. You get a certificate and some other things. And really what it is, is your church family saying, hey, we covenant with you to help you raise this kid. Uh, basically, uh, th- there is no two parents qualified to raise a kid in this world by themselves. And as a church family, we ought to surround each other and be there to help one another. So child dedication is a time for you to dedicate your child to the Lord. But it's also a time for us as a church family to say we are here to help you in this journey. So if that's something you're interested in, I don't care if you've got a 20-year-old son and you've never dedicated him, bring him up. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend telling him what you're doing until you get here. Uh, But if you would like to dedicate your child, uh, that'll be August 29th, so you can just fill out your Connect card. Now, I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to jump in to 2 Peter chapter 3. Father, as we take a breath, Lord, I pray that we would just center our hearts upon you. God, as Molly said, it's, it's so easy for us to come in here and focus on what we need. 
to focus on the gifts that we can receive from you. Uh, Lord, without first and foremost acknowledging who you are and worshiping you for your goodness. God, we have enough time with our attention on ourselves. We pray that for the rest of this service, we can place our attention on you and your goodness. God, I pray that you'd help us become patient people, people who can wait well. God, as we wait well for your return, but also as we wait well for all those other things you want to do in our lives. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. My, uh, my spiritual gift is not patience. Uh, I think people who drive in the left lane are uh, slowly are some of the worst people. Uh, if that's you, I'm sorry. Uh, I just, I can't stand it. That's why I'll never have an ascent sticker on my vehicle. Because uh, <laughs> I would embarrass us uh, if, if I was out there driving. Because I, I just, I don't have patience. Uh, I, I was reading an article about this study they did to kids. It sounded like child abuse to me. Uh, but what they did is they, they took these kids and they were testing their patience. And then they wanted to see how, how it played out over the course of their life. And so they had these kids in a room and they told the kids, they put an Oreo in front of the kids. And these are like five, six-year-old kids. Okay. And they said, now here's the deal. Uh, you can eat this Oreo now. Uh, or if you wait until we come back, we'll bring you two Oreos. And so the kids are supposed to sit there. And if they eat the Oreo, they don't get another Oreo. But if they wait, then they get double the Oreos. And immediately when I heard this, I was like, I know what kind of kid I'd be, right? Like (laughs) the door wouldn't even be shut and I'd have the Oreo in my mouth. Uh, And and then it's really interesting though because they they had like cameras in there on these kids and you could just see them. Some of the kids are super patient. They are so amazing as six-year-olds with their self-control and their will to wait to not eat the cookie. And then there's other guys like me who are just like, ah, you know what? You only live once. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and they eat the cookie. And what they found was that this actually played out over the course of their lives, that the people who had more self-control, that were able to be patient, were more successful in life. Because a big part of life, and you learn this as you grow up, is waiting well. It's not rushing things. It's not taking the one Oreo now. It's, it's waiting so that you can have the two later. It's not spending money like crazy in your 20s like all your friends are doing but saving the money so that in your 30s you can be set up for a foundation in life. It's, it's not about, you know, I'm going to just play hard right now and then maybe work hard later. It's No, it's I'm going to work hard now while all my friends are doing what they're doing so that later in life when my friends are trying to work hard and make up for lost time, I have a foundation to go forward. It's, it's, it's putting what's coming up next. It's sacrificing now for what's coming up next in life. It's a huge spiritual discipline. And as we jump into 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter's talking specifically about how we wait well for the second coming of Jesus. But it applies to everything in life that we wait well for. Like if you're here today and you want a marriage that is better than the marriage you have now, it's very possible, but it's not fast. It's going to take a long time of consistent behaviors to build the communication necessary to have a healthy marriage. If your finances are a mess, there is a system, there's a pathway to financial health. I'm not saying you're going to get rich, but you can be financially healthy. But what I can tell you is, is it's not fast. It's not quick. There's not a magic pill. If you're here today and your physical health isn't where you want it to be, you can become physically healthy, but it will not happen fast. And unfortunately, you're going to have to say no to a lot of Oreos, which is my problem. But if you wait well, you can become successful in life. And what Peter says, this is more important than success. And in fact, this is how I would define success. You can become a godly person in this life. And as we look at the second coming of Jesus, uh, 
This is actually really important for us, not just as individuals, but as the church. What do we do? How do we wait well as God's people as we wait for Jesus to come back? If you remember back to to last week, I tried the best I could to describe the glory and the goodness of what the second coming of Jesus would be like. And I don't think I even got close to it. I don't think anybody ever could. And it's easy for us to think, man, you know, I wish Jesus would just come back now and we could have all that right now. Wouldn't that just be awesome right now? But Peter says it doesn't happen right now. So as a church family, as a church in the world, we have to be a people who know how to wait, how to be patient for God's coming. And maybe that's a good place to start, which is, you know, why do we have to wait anyways? Like, why does God make us wait? And there's some things that are just frustrating in life uh, where it's like, man, I just wish God would show up. Uh, I saw this a lot with uh, COVID where, you know, guys would, would lose a job in the oil field and then it would take forever for them to get a job. And, you know, as their pastor, I'm sitting there and I'm praying with them and I'm thinking, God, you know, why won't you just why won't you just open a door for him? It's like, why do we have to wait on these things? And I think we get insight into that if we look at Second or Third Second Peter chapter three. I mean, I'm telling you, it always wigs me out when they have a number before the book of the Bible and then the chapter number. I know you guys are looking at me like you don't have any problems with that. But that's fine. You're smarter than I am. All right, Second Peter chapter three, and I think we, we get the answer to why we have to wait in verse nine. And this is why, if you ever wonder why Jesus didn't just come back, you know, why did Jesus ever even leave in the first place? You know? Like he rose from the dead and then he's here for like 50 days. And he's like, deuces, I'm out. You know, it's like, uh, hey, hey, wait a minute. You know, why don't you just stay and, and do the whole, the whole second coming thing now? He, here's why Jesus didn't do that. And here's why you all should be very, very grateful that he didn't do that. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord does not delay his promise. Because before this, in verses 1 through 8, there's scoffers who are scoffing. I like the word scoffing. and That's just what I think of, scoffer. You know, just go scoff about it. Um, I'm never going to do that again. Uh, so they're scoffing about, you know, hey, he's not coming back, you know. And, and this, is, this is Peter's response. Verse 9, he says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay. So it looks like a delay to you is actually the Lord's patience. It says, But is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all. In the Greek, that word all is all. Everybody. All to come to repentance. So why is Jesus not already come back? Because before the foundations of the earth, he saw Blake Farley. He saw you. And he wanted you to come to repentance before he came back. And we should be very grateful for that. Like, I, I, am, I am super grateful that Jesus didn't come back in 1994 before I was born. And I'm really grateful that Jesus didn't come back before I knew him. And you should be really grateful. And whenever you think, you know, Jesus, why don't you come back? It's probably because there are people that Jesus cares about and he will not leave one behind. So the parable we see in the Gospels where Jesus leaves the 99 sheep he already has to go after and search for the one. And uh, the, the Bible is pretty clear that when that last one is found, when the last person who is going to repent will repent, Jesus will come back at that point, but not a moment before. Because God's mercy and God's love is way greater than God's judgment. His judgment is real. His justice is real. It's what makes him holy and set apart. But his love and his mercy is what gives him his great patience as he waits for us. See, and sometimes what I think of as a delay in what God is doing is actually God's great goodness and kindness in my life. As the the great theologian Garth Brooks said, uh, (laughs) thank God for unanswered prayers. 
That there's sometimes we want God to do something really badly. Oh God, could I please marry her? You know, I, I prayed to God that I could marry my fourth grade girlfriend. And uh, I'm just glad that he didn't do that. Nothing against her, but I, I got a spoken hot wife that I love. Uh, I think I can say that. You know, we're meeting in a bar, so I can pretty much say what I want. Uh, I'm grateful for that unanswered prayer. God had something far greater than what little fourth grade Blake thought he could have. And the same is true in, in all areas of our lives. Uh, I was talking about how people had lost their jobs during COVID. My, my friend Rick Hay, who uh, runs our, our tech back there, uh, he had just the, the longest period without a job, and it just didn't make sense. He kept applying to places. He kept trying to get in. We were praying. And, uh, you know, I was trying to remain calm for Rick. Uh, <laughs> but on the inside, I was like, man, this is not good. Like, I don't know how they're living right now. Because uh, it just, it kept going and, and, you know, he would have an opportunity and I'd think, okay, God, this is it. And I'd pray for him and we'd pray together and he'd go out to the interview and I'd say, how'd the interview go? And he'd say, man, I did good. I think I did really good on the interview. And then, and then nothing would happen. And time went on and time went on and time went on. But finally, when it was God's time, not Blake's time or Rick's time, Rick got the job that he actually wanted. Rick got a very good job that works with the church. And Rick has the best boss in the world. And I can say that because she's my grandma. But he had to wait for God's timing. See, and I bet Rick would tell you now, in the moment it didn't make sense, but looking back, he's grateful and he could see what God was doing all along. Uh, think of another story in our church family. Uh, we have Cheryl Barco, who is uh, trying to, to sell a house or, or, or get a house out from under her. And then we had the Admires, a, a family in our church, uh, who were looking to buy a house. And th- these people didn't even know each other before Ascent. And yet they were both looking for this thing. And then in God's timing, way past what their timing would have been, like a year or two years past what their timing would have been, it all came together and it was the perfect deal for both of them. And God got the glory. Amen. See, what God had, that was Cheryl saying amen. <laughs> she said, I don't have a house anymore. Uh, God's timing was better than their time. And sometimes this is what we have to understand in the waiting. And, and quite honestly, friends, sometimes you, you, you never see what God is doing on this side of eternity. Like there's just going to be some things on this side of eternity that we just don't fully understand. We don't grasp why they happened the way they happened. But what we can trust is we have a good God who knows more than what we know. Before the foundations of the earth, in fact, he knew us and he chose us and he loved us. And you say, Blake, how can we trust this God? We can trust this God because he took on flesh. He walked this earth. And he died the death we deserve to die. He's not a God who's far off. He's a God who came near to be a part of this with us. So why do we have to wait? We wait because God's plan is better. And what seems like delayed to us is actually God's kindness to us. Now, as we jump into the the rest of the text, we're going to spend the majority of our time in verses 14 through the end. And I just want to look at, I think, three key ingredients to waiting well. The three key ingredients we have up there. Number one, keep your eye on the goal. We've got to keep our heart on guard. We've got to keep our focus on growth. So number one, we've got to keep our eye on the goal. I want to jump to verse 14. It says, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, and what things is Peter talking about? He's talking about what he said in verse 13, which is, Based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness Dwells. In other words, where justice dwells, where there's no childhood cancer, where there is no politicians because we have one King Jesus. So that means there's no stinking news. There's no Facebook. There's Chick-fil-A on every corner and it's free. That's the kind of world we're talking about here. 
I don't think Peter knew about Chick-fil-A, but if he did. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait on those things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. And I love the, the way the NIV says it. While you are looking forward to those things. See, you have, you have your goal. You have the vision out before you. This is what you focus on. You focus on not where you are, but where you are going. Because if you are waiting for something to happen and you're just focusing on uh, the, the actual work and you don't focus on the goal, number one, you're never going to get to the goal and you're going to burn out. You know, it's, it's like if I just go to the gym for fun, some of you guys do that, you're weird. Uh, I'm not going to work out very well, but if I have a goal, like if I sign up for, for a half marathon and I pay for it, then I'm going to go to the gym with a massive amount of attention because I don't want to waste my money. I know what I'm doing. I love this quote about uh, goals. It says, uh, Lawrence J. Peter, he says, if you don't know where you are going, you will probably end up somewhere else. And that's just the true fact of life, right? You know, like if, if you want to go to California and, and you set off towards Florida, you, you're not going to end up in California. I, I don't care how much you want to be in California. It's just, it's not going to happen. This actually isn't my favorite Lawrence J. Peter quote, though. Uh, this is my favorite one. The noblest of all dogs is the hot dog. It feeds the hand that bites it. That's funny. I don't care who you are. Uh, oh, Lord. But we, we have to have a goal that we are, we're pointing towards, we are focusing on. And so as we, we look at the, the, the new earth and the new heavens, it should give us an amazing amount of vision for what we do. N.T. Wright says that the Christians right here, it says people who believe in the resurrection and God making a whole new world, which is what Peter's talking about, the things, a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. See, if we have our goal clear, then we can begin to pursue it. We have a telos or, or an aim that we're going after. And this is true with our lives. And here, here's what we ultimately do. This is what Peter said, verse 14 at the end of it. He said, we make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Which I think is, is really cool because if you want to know how you change the world, you, you start with the man in the mirror. You, you start with being found before the Lord as holy and blameless yourself. See, a lot of us, you know, we get overwhelmed when we think about, you know, how would I bring God's kingdom to earth? Uh, and, and we rightly should get overwhelmed by that. You know, like, how can I change the world? How can I end childhood cancer? Well, you know, I can't. But what I can do is become the person God has called me to be. And I will impact the world around me, and the people I impact will impact the world around them. And this is why we're called, as Christians, the body of Christ. You know, it's like a finger by itself doesn't do much good. You know, if it's just like a finger sitting there, nothing happens. But a body together with fingers connected to a hand, connected to ligaments, connected to the brain, connected to the blood flow, connected to the heart, begins to do some really powerful things. And see, one of the problems I think with the, the church today is that 90% of the people, and this isn't true in our church, we have people involved all throughout the church, but... Most churches, 90% of the people in the churches sit and watch somebody else do all the ministry work. They think that church is all about coming to a place and watching a guy talk and singing some songs and maybe giving some money. And then, you know, what do we do? Well, we just wait seven more days and then we do it again. And that is a really, really sad way to live. Can you imagine if 90% of your body didn't operate like it was supposed to? You, you wouldn't be alive. Which is maybe why the Church of Jesus is pretty impotent in the world right now. 
Because a lot of us aren't alive. We're not moving. Everybody has a place and a piece to play in this role. And this God's grand plan and purpose for everything. Amen. And some, some of us, you know, you're, you're the brain. You're the, you're the heart. Some of you are the appendix. We don't really know what you do, but we're glad you're here. Uh, <laughs> we all have a role to play. We've got to focus on that goal as we go forward. But again, this is true. This is so true. Even in every other area of your life, as you wait. Again, if you, if you want your marriage to be something that it's not, don't focus on the problem. Focus on the solution. Don't focus on where you are. Focus on where you want to be. And your finances, if, if, you, if you're in a hole, a financial hole, if you sit there and you, you groan and you whine about the hole you're in, you're never going to get out of the hole. You've got to have vision for what could be. You've got to move forward based upon what might be there. Otherwise, you're going to get completely burnt out. So number one, the, the three things we have to do is we have to keep our eye on the goal. Number two is we have to keep our heart on guard. Here's what Peter says about this. Verse uh, 15 says, Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. It's picking up what he said in verse 9. Just as our dear brother Paul, this would be the Apostle Paul, he wrote uh, over half of the books in the New Testament, has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. I believe Peter's talking about Romans 2.4, which is where uh, the Apostle Paul says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That God is waiting on you. So the very people who are saying, you know, why doesn't God come back now if he's going to do it, are mocking God's very kindness. Uh, And and that's what Paul is pointing at there. But then I I love what Peter says about Paul because I resonate with it. Verse 16, he says, he speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things that are hard to understand in them. Okay, that just gives me a lot of, uh, as a pastor, it makes me feel a lot better about myself. That even Peter was like, yeah, I read Paul's stuff and I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Because like, <laughs> you read some of Paul's stuff and it's, it's way out there. And I love Peter. This is why Peter's my favorite guy in the Bible. Because he's just a Galilean fisherman. He's like a blue collar worker. He didn't have all this education. The Apostle Paul is, is like the Ivy League guy who memorized the Bible. He knew it all. And Peter is like, well, I just, I don't really know what all you're saying, but I think it sounds good to me. Uh, which is my kind of people. So I, I love that Peter says that. It says this about them though. It says, there are some things hard to understand in them. The untaught and the unstable will twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, so in light of what I just said, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. It's reading in uh, one of my commentaries this week, and I thought it summed up what it means to stay on guard better than anything I could say myself. It says, repeat a bad idea or praise a simple behavior often enough, and the entire cultural and moral landscape will eventually shift. See, and this is just true. Like, in Christianity, but in all areas of life, if, if you are not grounded in what you believe and why you believe it, now that, that doesn't mean dogmatic where you're attacking other people, that doesn't mean that you're not open-minded ever to learning new things, but it does mean that if you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, then when somebody who comes along that can say something in a way that sounds good to you comes along, they will knock you off of your stable position. And sometimes it doesn't even have to sound good. It can just be repeated over and over and over and over again until the point of the culture gets to the point where it overwhelms you and people get on board with it. For instance, I'm going I'm to ask you a question, and please don't, don't get mad at me. I'm going somewhere with it. Uh, how many of you 
uh, think women should vote? Raise your hand if you think women should vote. Okay. Yeah. If you didn't raise your hand, I'm sorry. I, I put the ball on the tee. I, again, look, I think women should vote. Um, mainly because i got to go home with my wife and I don't want her to get upset at me. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think women should vote and I think it's awesome that you guys all think women should vote. But if we were to go back 100 years, that would not be the same case. If I were to ask that question in a church, it would be pretty highly contested. There would be some of you who raised your hand and there would be some of you who did not raise your hand. Why? Is it because you guys are just so much smarter and better than those people? Do you really think you're intellectually better off than those people were back then? You better be careful with your answer. See, the reason why a lot of us are on board, and we ought to be on board, is because culture has shifted to the point where it is now accepted that women vote. And it should be that way. But what I want you to think about is, do you know why you think women should vote? Because the people who know why they believe something are the people who hold to the belief tightly. Now, I'm just using that as an illustration. But that's true in all areas of your life. If you don't know why you believe it, if you just believe it because Blake says it and 90% of the other people in the room believe it, that's not a belief that is on stable ground. And you're not on guard. You're not watching your heart for what might come along. And see, what Peter is saying is that there's people who are going to come and they're going to say things that sound really good. They're going to say, you know, well, the Bible doesn't really say this, which is, you know, the devil's first trick. As we go to Genesis chapter 3 in the garden, he talks to the woman and he says, did God really say? It's the same trick he used on Jesus when he was being tempted for 40 days. He said, is it not written? And he uses the word of God to twist what God is actually saying, his actual intent for things. And it's still what he does today. And if we don't know why we believe what we believe, then we will be not on guard and our heart will be shifted. Now, this is, again, this is true in not just the big things of Christianity, like what you believe as far as your faith in Jesus, but also in just the the everyday waiting we have to do. You know, it can get exhausting to work on your marriage, to keep working on it. And somebody comes along and says, you know what, you just deserve to be happy. You know, if you just walked away from this, life would be so much better. It's easy to hear those kind of messages and think, man, that, that does sound good. Or, or to be struggling against an addiction or a sin in your life, a, a habit, a behavior that you know is not good for you. It's very difficult and it takes a very long time to overcome it. And what can begin to happen is if enough people say to you, you know what, that's not really a bad thing. You really shouldn't worry about fighting against that. You know, r- really, God understands. Or really, you just, you know, you have a demonic stronghold and so there's really nothing you can do about it. You know, these things sound good when we're in the midst of the waiting. But they're not true. They're not true. And that's the problem. So we've got to keep our heart on guard by being grounded in what we believe and the why behind we believe. So number one, we've got to keep our eye on the goal. Number two, keep your heart on guard. And number three, keep your focus on growth. And really, if I could go back and adjust my slide, I would say keep your focus on growth and grace. Growth and grace. Because that is actually where Peter ends his epistle. Verse, I'm in 1 Peter. I was like, the Bible changed. (laughs) God, what are you doing to me? Okay, this is much better. Verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you know that this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. So what do we do instead? Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I, uh, I, I love that. I love that verb. What does Peter say to focus on? He says to focus on the grace of Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus. And we talked about this at the beginning of this series. When it says knowledge of Jesus, it, it's talking about head knowledge, but it's so much more than that. You know, it's, it's like the, the knowledge I have of, of, of driving a car versus knowing about a car. You know, it's like I, I can know how a car works, but if I never drive it, I don't really experience it. I, I, I know it in a, in a different way. You know, like I can try to tell you about it, but if you haven't done it, then you don't experience it. Like, for instance, um, you might not know it, but I'm standing up here right now with uh, 30 minutes of sleep in the last 48 hours uh, because I went all the way to Iowa. And this might sound mad to some of you, uh, and it probably is. I went to Iowa this weekend to watch a sprint car race. That is like the, it's, I can't even describe it. it. It's, you know, it's like heaven for race fans. Uh, and, and I went all the way there. The race ended at 11.57 p.m. My favorite driver, Kyle Larson, won. Uh, totally worth everything uh, that I'm going through right now. Uh, and then I get in my car and I drive eight hours all the way back here. I get here just in time to take a shower, put on some clothes, and come see you guys. I don't even know if what I'm saying is making sense right now. Uh, <laughs> the last 30 miles, I was like having hallucinations. Uh, as, I, as, I, as I drove my car there, that's really dangerous. Nobody else was on the road, I promise. Um, that I know of. I mean, yeah, anyways. Uh, now, you might think, that's crazy. Why would you do that? And I can try to explain to you how awesome it is. And you can maybe memorize facts. I said, okay, Blake said Kyle Larson won, and it's awesome. And I can say, okay, who won? You can say, Kyle Larson won. And you can get all the facts down in your head. But there's something different, isn't there, about you actually being there versus just knowing about it? It's a different kind of knowledge. And Jesus is saying, Peter is saying here about Jesus, that there's really two types of people. There's the type of people who have the head knowledge. They can read you all the verses. They have the verses memorized. You can ask them 50 catechism questions, and they get all 50 answers right. But they don't know Jesus. They haven't experienced him. Versus the guy over here who's had a rough life. He doesn't know all the correct theological answers, and he probably never will. He doesn't have the intellect uh, of, of memory because he hasn't been memorizing them since he was two years old. But he was blind and now he sees. He's experienced grace. And he's changed, like visibly changed. And you guys have seen people like this. who You, know, you saw them and you knew them from a past life and, and then they met Jesus. They had an experience and they were not the same person. They might know some new things about Jesus, but really the knowledge they had was an experience of who he was. This is what Peter says we ought to pursue. We ought to pursue the knowledge of God. Yes, head, of course, but our heart and our hands, as we get in action, we experience the knowledge of God. And then I love how he ties that with grace, because if we're going to have knowledge of God, we have to have grace with God. And, and here's why. I've got a, a little chart to explain. So when we first come to Jesus, there's this kind of this break of, you know, the, the, the gospel is preached, the word of God is preached, and where we want to be, which is the top line, is a little bit different from where we are. Like, there's a gap, you know? I'm, I'm not as loving as I should be. I read Jesus, I thought murder was bad, but Jesus kind of upped it. He said, if I've ever been angry, I've murdered in my heart. <laughs> I've been angry on the way to church. You know, I, I, I cursed a guy out for going slow in the left lane. So that's me, I'm a murderer, evidently. And so we, we have this gap between where we want to be and where we actually are. And what makes the gospel of Jesus actually good news is that Jesus covers the gap for us. The cross covers the distance between where we want to be and where we are. 
And see, when we first come to Christ, it doesn't take really much grace, right? It's like, you know, when I first came to Jesus, the sins that I thought I was committing was about four or five. And I think they're probably the same four or five sins that every teenage boy thinks that they are committing. Uh, I'll just leave your imaginations for that. Uh, And so the cross of Jesus was beautiful, good news. But then as I go through life, and those of you who have been Christians for a while, uh, you've experienced this where, you know, where, where you thought you wanted to be is actually far uh, worse. Like the, the, the things you thought were bad were actually not the bad things, but the motive behind them were the bad things. Um, and, and this has played out in my life so many different times. But what happens then is that we can do one of two things. We can keep the grace the same size as we experience Jesus more. And what that does is it leaves a gap. And what do we do with that gap? Most Christians, this is what they do. We hide it. We pretend. And this is why you can meet Christians who have been Christians for 30 years, but they have the same maturity of a Christian who's been a Christian for three months. Because they just had a little bit of the grace of Jesus. And that was enough for them. And they decided to hide everything else. Or you can choose to say to yourself, I believe that the grace of Jesus covers even this sin. That the grace of Jesus is even big enough for this. And see, what begins to happen is as I discover more of where I want to be and I discover the gap between where I am right now, I do not grow in shame and guilt, but actually grow in worship of God. And this is why people who have matured in Jesus Christ, people who have been Christians for 30 years, but they're still just as lit up about Jesus, are still that way because they've experienced his grace all the more and all new as the cross of Jesus grows. And here's the really special part about it, the cool part rather, is that when we live this way, we actually then begin to change. Because I'm not embarrassed to confess my sins to you because I believe Jesus has healed them. I'm not embarrassed to work on myself and to be honest and open and pursue what Jesus would have for me because I believe His grace is enough. I don't have to prove myself to you anymore. It's already been proven for me on the cross of Jesus Christ. And I begin to grow in grace. And this is the, the, the thing that Peter wants us to do as we focus on growth in grace. You experience the knowledge of God And as you notice the difference between where Jesus is and where you are, you don't try harder. You don't go with guilt. But you say, I believe your grace even covers this. It's the most amazing way to live. Um, This past week, and I'll close with this. Molly, if you want to go ahead and come up. And Lacey as well. Uh, This past week, I I was at the races and my uh, grandfather has an RV there at the track all week. So we were kind of standing there and then uh, he had uh, his neighbor that they always come together. They're from Texas, and they, they sit by each other. Anyways, the, his neighbor is an 82-year-old man named Bill. Uh, Bill does not look like he's 82. He gets around really well. I'm pretty sure he could beat me in a foot race. Uh, and Bill is, is one of those guys who's got a, like a larger-than-life personality. Uh, he was a fighter pilot, and then he stopped fighter piloting uh, and started his own tax business because he wanted to race sprint cars, and he thought, well, I could do tax business for like two months out of the year and then have money to go race the rest of the year. So that's what he did. And he's just the kind of guy that had an idea and he just, he went and he did it. Uh, really cool guy. But we got to talking about uh, religion uh, because my, my grandparents are really proud that I'm a pastor. And so <laughs> it's like the first thing they say to everybody. And I'm like, you know, maybe it's not the thing you want to lead off with uh, at a sprint car race. But anyways, that, that's neither here nor there. Uh, and uh, so, so Bill finally gets to the point where, you know, he's talking about faith and, uh, he starts telling me about the things he doesn't like about Jesus. He starts telling me about the things he doesn't like about Christianity. You know, that it's, it's kind of the stuff you've probably all heard. It's a way to control people. It's, it's for weak people who kind of, they need the law. 
uh, to tell them what to do and what not to do. And he said, really, you know, all religions are about that. It's about moral behavior. It's about changing the way you live. And he said, you know, I, I really have no problem uh, with any religions. I think I like Buddha the best because he, he was the guy who said, um, you know, turn your cheek. And I was like, well, that was actually Jesus who said that. But, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't say that to him at the time. Uh, and, and he said, the, the thing I don't like about religious leaders is they try to control you with their things. And I started talking to Bill, and, and I wish I would have said this at the time, uh, but it, it's one of those things that hit me after. And I've been praying for Bill ever since this conversation. But the difference between Jesus and all the other guys he talked about, and the, the, re, the place where he missed, Bill missed it, is that Jesus didn't just give us commands. He came and he lived them. Like, Jesus didn't just say, turn your cheek when your enemy hits you. Like, okay, that's not very powerful. You know, when, when my enemy hits me, I want to punch him back in the face. But what makes that command of Jesus so powerful is that Jesus had enemies spit in his face. That Jesus had enemies drive nine-inch nails through his wrist and his feet. And Jesus didn't just preach it, he practiced it. With the power of God at his disposal, he chose not to bring wrath. John 3.17 says, For the Son of Man came not to condemn, but to save. That verse should blow our minds. Especially when you look at the world and... Honestly, the atrocities that humans have caused. And if you think you're better than the humans that have caused those evil things, you're just more fortunate. <laughs> you, you just haven't had the pain and the brokenness that they've went through. Because there's something, I think if we were all being really honest, there's something in us that is capable of evil. For most of us, we don't act on that evilness, but we have it. It's those, those fantasies that just pop up in your head. You know when you're mad at somebody and it's like this thought just pops in your head of what you could do and you're like, man. I'm disgusting. Like, where, where did that even come from? We all have that capability within us. And yet the Son of God comes not to condemn us, but to save us, to bring us to new life. And you see, Jesus is not about moral modification because what the law is, in the Old Testament law, is a list of commands that we cannot follow. We can never live up to them. And uh, that, that's what Bill said. He said, you know, I'd, I'd be all for you know Hitler being judged, but... But I don't really know about anybody else. And I was like, well, where, where do you draw the line? Like, who, where's the cutoff line of, you know, Hitler's here. Yes, of course. But, you know, where, where's everybody else? So where, where does Bill and Blake fall in line? And see, what Jesus does is he comes and he takes care of it all. He says, there is no one who is righteous. And at first that sounds like bad news. That none of us are righteous? Really? That nobody's good enough? But here's why it's really, really good news. Because nobody is righteous. Jesus came so that all could be made righteous. See, when you read the Bible, you read the law, you should have a feeling of, I don't measure up. But what should also happen is a feeling of, thank you, Jesus, that you did this for me. Thank you for your grace, Jesus, that I don't have to measure up. That on the day of judgment, when God comes and he gets what he wants, on the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus makes everything right, the reason why I get to stay is not because of anything that I've done. It's all because of what Jesus has done. Like on the day of judgment, I hope you guys all understand this. On the day of judgment, I don't believe it's actually going to happen this way. But if God were to look at you and say, you know, why should I allow you to stay in my new kingdom? There would be nothing you could say, nothing you could say that would deserve it. The Bible says my righteous works, like my best days. I get up, I read the Bible, I love my wife, I serve the people of a sin. Well, my best days in Isaiah, it says are filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. My only hope and my only plea, and listen to me, this frees you up in life if you believe this. 
is what Jesus has already done for me. That if God were to say, why should I allow you in? I would point to Jesus and what he has done. And you see how this frees me up to not carry around shame and guilt. This frees me up to wait and to focus on growth and grace. So how do we wait well? Three things. We've got to keep our eyes focused on the goal. We've got to keep our heart on guard. We've got to keep our focus on growth and grace. I want to pray for you and then we're going to sing. Father, thank you for Peter. God, thank you that as he neared the end of his life, he, he didn't let his stories and his thoughts die with him, but he sat down and he, he wrote these letters to the churches of his time. God, probably with very little knowledge that 2,000 years later, across the world, in Woodward, Oklahoma, a group of Christians would be learning from them. Jesus, your plan is always better. God, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy. And Lord, I understand that there are some people in here who are waiting on some very serious things and they, they feel like you're absent. But God, I pray that today you would give them a peace that only you can give them. That you're working something out for their good. Something that one day will be a testimony of your goodness. Even when they doubted that it would work out for good. And God, I pray for the person here today who came in here bearing the weight of trying to measure up for the world's sake. God, I pray that they would see you for what you have done and they would turn and put their confidence in you. God, that they would say, I am forgiven, not because of what I do or don't do, but based solely because of what Jesus of Nazareth has done for me. Friends, if you would take just about 20 seconds, eyes closed, head bowed, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Father, give us the courage to obey. God, I pray for those who have been waiting and have been getting tired. Lord, I pray that you'd give them perseverance through the power of your spirit today. God, I pray that you would help us not just be something we hear in this moment, but it'd be something that would convict us and move us to action throughout the week. God, it's in your heavenly name that I pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.